This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest movies are. I'm Tom Duncan, and tonight, in this bonus special episode, I run solo as I pay off a bet to my co-host Dana from this year's Oscars by applying our patent-pending Stanley rubric to the movie Glenn or Glenda from 1953, directed, written by, and starring Ed Wood with Timothy Farrell, Dolores Fuller, and Bella Lugosi. So for anyone that's listened to the show for at least this year, this season, if you remember back to this year's Oscars earlier, you will remember that Dana correctly predicted 16 out of the 17 categories to my 15 out of the 17 categories that we picked to do. And thus, he decided to pick this movie for me as my punishment, if you will, to review partially based on the backing of the renowned critic Leonard Moulton, who has said this is the worst movie ever made. So this is a bonus episode because it is kind of a mock style of what our normal episodes would be like. I hope if this is the first and only episode that you're listening to, that you're willing to come back for movies that are actually worth our time. But let me just go through our normal repertoire and apply it to this movie that for all intents and purposes is not a very good movie. I wouldn't say that it's even an okay movie in some senses. It has something to say. It has a central narrative and there is somewhat of a plot, but there are quite a few things in here that are completely unexplainable to anyone who has seen a movie before. So with that, what is my relationship to this movie? I have no concept of Ed Wood or anything about Ed Wood. I never saw the Ed Wood biography movie that was done in the early 90s with Johnny Depp and was directed by Tim Burton. So this is kind of an introductory course for me on Ed Wood and... I'm familiar that there are quite a few Ed Wood films that are known for being some of the worst ever put together by anybody in the filmmaking industry. It's not hard to see why whenever Bela Lugosi pops up in this film, as he's playing this odd narrator of sorts, I guess there are two narrators in this movie, and most critics would tell you one narrator is probably too many, but he comes on screen and he's like the mad scientist of this whole ordeal. And the first five minutes of the movie is about him, even though I have no idea why he's in the movie at all. It makes absolutely no sense. And he comes on and says some of the oddest lines that I will read for you later on when we get to quotes. This is a strange movie. I had no relationship with it whatsoever going in. So I came into it with fairly open eyes. And that is to say, I was probably more surprised than I should have been had I known anything about Ed Wood or Ed Wood films. What is this movie about? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm not entirely certain. I think if I were to venture a guess, 
it's Ed Wood's attempt at trying to be understood in a way that he didn't feel like he was at that time. And he's trying to make this as a piece of art, extending an olive branch into what he feels is a key aspect of his personality and of his identity that isn't understood by the masses. And for that, I have a certain level of sympathy. But like I said, the mad scientist parts of this, I don't quite understand. The structural portions of this, I don't quite understand. If it was simply the Ed Wood story, it would make more sense. But then we string in two kind of side stories, one involving a murder that just seemingly comes out of nowhere and then is dismissed fairly quickly. If you've seen bad movies before, you know that they introduce plot lines only to never really follow up on them. And this movie has like three or four of those. I think one of the best things about this movie is, thankfully, it's relatively short, but it's got some real odd sequences. And that whole devil musical montage that's about two thirds of the way through the movie is one of the strangest things I think I've ever seen in cinema especially given what the plot had been up to that point. So let's give you a little bit more background on the movie. I have our plot summary ready for us. In the 1950s, little is understood about transvestitism. Director Ed Wood, in a seemingly autobiographical examination, seeks to inform the world on the topic through the story of Glenn, played by Ed Wood. A man forced to deal with his own transvestitism after he becomes engaged to be married. Cast for this movie, Ed Wood as Glenn slash Glenda, and also the screenwriter and director. Timothy Farrell as Dr. Alton and also one of our narrators. Dolores Fuller as Barbara. Bella Lugosi as scientist slash spirit. Tommy Haynes as Alan slash Anne. Lyle Talbot as Inspector Warren. Charlie Crafts as Johnny. Conrad Brooks as banker slash reporter slash pickup artist slash bearded drag, and William M. A. Diordler as Captain DeZita as the devil, which is strange by itself. Recognition for this movie, Glenn or Glenda, was released in April 1953. It is what is known as an exploitation film or a film that tries to succeed financially by exploiting current trends, niche genres, or lurid content. It was in limited release throughout its initial run due to low-grossing returns. In 1980, Wood was posthumously given the accolade of Worst Director of All Time at the Golden Turkey Awards, and a revival of interest in his work followed. This led to Glenn or Glenda being reissued in 1982. This cut included six minutes of additional footage. I'm... why did we need that? One of the restored scenes features Glenn rejecting a pass made to him by a man. At this point, the film was reviewed seriously and reclaimed as a radical work by Steve Jenkins in the monthly film Bulletin. The critic Leonard Moulton names Glenn or Glenda as possibly the worst movie ever made. Richard Berrios describes Glenn or Glenda as one of the funniest and worst movies ever made. And David Lynch has named the film as one of his favorites. If you know anything about David Lynch, that is no surprise. In his book Cult Movies 3... Danny Perry suggests this is actually a radical, if ineptly made, film that presents a far more personal story 
than is contained in films by more well-respected auteurs. In 1994, Tim Burton chronicled the troubled production of Glenn or Glenda in Ed Wood. The film includes recreations of several key scenes, including Lugosi's narration and Glenn's plea for his girlfriend's understanding at the end of the film. The film currently holds a 39% among critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 2.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Did you know? The film was originally intended to be loosely based on the story of sex change pioneer Christine Jorgensen. Did you know? Edward D. Wood Jr. got the part as the director because he confessed to the producer that he was a transvestite, something only his then-girlfriend Dolores Fuller knew at the time. In fact, his fellow producer pal, Alex Gordon, lived with him as a roommate for over a year, and he never knew about Ed wearing girls' clothes. Did you know? The entire film was shot in just four days. No surprise there. Did you know? Warren Beatty is purported to have sponsored its 1981 reissue by Paramount while he was working there making Reds. Did you know? In March 1981, Paramount placed a full-page ad in the New York Times announcing the reissue of Glenn or Glenda. It was heralded as a lost, trailblazing masterpiece in the tradition of Citizen Kane, Freaks from 1932, The Godfather, and Napoleon from 1927. A big New York premiere was scheduled for the reissue, but the date, April 1st, made film buffs suspect that the whole thing was an April Fool's Day joke. Paramount abruptly canceled the premiere the night before, citing the attempted assassination of then-President Ronald Reagan on March 30th. The film was quietly put into limited re-release the next month and started appearing in TV bad movie film festivals soon after. Did you know? The film includes almost 14 minutes of stock footage, including the end credits, and 73 seconds that run concurrently with new footage of Bela Lugosi. The stock scenes include fake lightning, used six times, pedestrians, three times, highway day, three times, highway night, twice, playground, twice, superior court, twice, ridiculous softcore, natives, bison stampede, parking lot, steel foundry, World War II, ambulance, airplane, signalman, milkman, and girls with fuzzy hats or sweaters. These are absolutely real. I'm just letting everybody know. Did you know? Bela Lugosi was broke and an addict at the time, so he readily took on a role in the film, even though, according to Dolores Fuller, he hated transvestites. Reportedly, he was paid $5,000, but it was probably closer to $1,000. Did you know? While the film had no sequel, Edward D. Wood Jr. used the character Glenn slash Glenda again in two of his novels. In Killer and Drag from 1963, Glenn slash Glenda becomes a serial killer. In its sequel, Death of a Transvestite, Glenn slash Glenda is executed. Did you know? The film was intended primarily for the drive-in market. It was one of a wave of exploitative cheap fare marketed to teenagers. Did you know? The film is listed among the top 10 best bad films ever made in the official Razzie Movie Guide. And with that, I will take our first break, and I will be right back. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us. All right, we have best performance up. So for me, if I have to give it to somebody, we're going to go with Ed Wood, because one, he directed it, 
which is not an easy thing to do. Two, he wrote the screenplay, also not easy. And then he starred in it in a movie that seems very personal to his life story. And as a result, I think just by sheer effort of will and that this is pretty much his project, I feel that best performance really has to go to him. Best secondary performance and most charismatic, I'm going to go with his girlfriend, Dolores Fuller. She is the most appealing part of this movie, even though I would say that she feels like she's lost through most of the film. She doesn't seem to understand half the time what's going on. She seems incredibly naive, but she's endearing because she's the one that's kind of got the deer caught in the headlights moment in the course of this film. Because of her naivete, you can sympathize with where Edward's character, Glenn slash Glenda, is trying to take this story or in the way that he eventually has to come out to her. Now, the one endearing quality of Dolores Fuller is simply that she doesn't seem mean-spirited and seems very open about the situation in a way that most people probably of the time wouldn't be. I mean, for that matter, people 50 years afterwards were not as accepting of. I know that when I was a kid, there was what we thought was a very strange man who was a transvestite, a very open transvestite, who was kind of, I think, toothless and used to wear a pair of like cutoff shorts during the summer and maybe deliver newspapers that we always thought was kind of weird. In hindsight, we probably shouldn't have been so rejecting, but even so, it, it was kind of a strange situation that everybody in town knew about, but didn't really do anything other than make disparaging comments and jokes about. With that being said, let's move to best scene. I have nominated the suicide of Patrick Patricia, which is kind of like the opening excuse for the police to get involved and then interview Dr. Alton, who then becomes the narrator and talks about Glenn slash Glenda. Glenn's backstory, which I actually think is probably one of the better flowing parts of the movie. It makes the most cohesive sense. America and sex change operations, which is kind of the description of, I guess, where America was at at the time in 1953 with sex change operations, which were still, given recent political stands, we have apparently a very difficult issue with a lot of political bills trying to ban that process. So you can only imagine how this scene would have went. But again, one of the better scenes from a somewhat confusing movie. The confrontation, which is Glenn's eventual confrontation with his girlfriend, Barbara, in the movie. And then Alan Ann, which is just kind of the last story, which I threw in here. I'm not really even sure why. My favorite scene out of these is the confrontation, just because I thought it had the most redeeming quality that in an environment that would not be understanding that there was at least one person in the universe that understood Glenn. And isn't that what we're all kind of looking for? So in a movie that, yes, is bad in its execution and a lot of the other technical aspects, at least this part of it was a little bit heartwarming 
even if it was undone by the whole weird devil musical montage that came just immediately after it, or excuse me, I guess immediately before it. Most indelible moment for me, though, it's Bella Lugosi, because I don't understand why he's in this film, and yet he's the only thing you think about when you see this stupid thing, because he's in it, like, every ten minutes, inexplicably. It's ridiculous. I can't get him out of my mind or separate him from a film he should have had nothing to do with. But that's the way things go, I guess. Whatever. So let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us. So now we move to best funniest lines. And all of these can either be funny or potentially scary. So I'm just going to try and read these as best as I can. So the first couple are just examples of Bella Lugosi from this movie. The Scientist. Beware, beware, beware of the big green dragon that sits on your doorstep. He eats little boys, puppy dog tails, and big fat snails. Beware, take care, beware. Now, I don't do Bella Lugosi justice on this, but it's really pretty much like that. Just imagine this former Dracula performer doing that. And you pretty much have whatever he was in this film, which I, yeah, okay. Your your explanation is as good as mine. The next quote from Bela Lugosi I have down. People, all going somewhere, all with their own thoughts, their own ideas, all with their own personalities, that says nothing and everything all at the same time. I, I I'm lost, but all right. So the actual narrator in the film, Glenn did wear the dress to the Halloween party. He even took first prize. Then one day, it wasn't Halloween any longer. Then I have Sheila, Glenn's sister. Just how does one go introducing your friends to your brother when brother's wearing your best sweater, your skirt, and makeup to boot? And my final nominee, Dr. Alton. Therefore, two entirely different cases, handled in two entirely different ways, have a happy ending. Inspector Warren. Yeah, those two. But what of the hundreds of other less fortunate Glens the world over? Scientist. Bella Lugosi. Yes, but what of the other less fortunate Glens the world over? Oh, snips and snails and puppy dog tails. So you end on this potentially great note, and then you undo it by putting in Bella Lugosi for whatever reason. It makes no sense. All right, so what you're all here for. Let's go to the Stanley rubric, see what we have to say on this. This might be the first film that we have to deal with this. From an industry standpoint, I think the film is known. You have critics all over the place talking about it, but it's in a negative fashion. So how do you judge negative notoriety and legacy? Ultimately, I think because of the negativity surrounding it, I think there is enough of a positive voice to push it beyond a one-point effort. I don't think it's quite so negative because there are divided opinions so as to push it under even a point. So I'm going to go 1.5 for the industry. 
but a zero for the audience. I don't know of too many people that know this film outside of like film buffs, which I would assume are more part of the industry by this point. And I don't really know of too many people that know of Ed Wood, let alone that. So I just can't give a lot of, you know what, I'm going to adjust this. There are some cult fans that do enjoy Ed Wood and these types of movies. So I'm going to go with a 0.5 because I think a zero is just a little too low. So that's going to actually add up to a two now that I think about it. All right. Impact significance. No critical attention or awards at the time. It had almost no recognition at the time that it came out. Almost everything was after the fact. It had zero to little box office appeal. It was in limited release And I'm not really sure how these films got, like, relaunched well after the fact, but it is a straight zero as far as impact or significance. This had nothing for 30 years. Why they decided 30 years later to, like, unearth this stuff and make it part of pop cultural lexicon, I have no idea. But they did. So that's a zero there. So we're working on two points through two categories. Novelty, 10. This was significantly ahead of its time. And while it's working with a 1950s understanding of the topic and is therefore extremely ham-handed about a lot of the issues that we're much more sensitive about these days, as I mentioned, sex change operations, trans people trying to be understanding. This is a an area that's still complicated as of now and has complicated feelings for a lot of people including myself, because it's not necessarily what we've been grown up to appreciate or understand. And I'm finding my way to understand and be involved in, be an ally in this, but it's still taken me time and I have complicated feelings on it. And yet we're trying to sort through these almost 70 years ago. So this is significantly ahead of its time If it's made 20 years ago, let alone 70, I'm sorry, it's uh, it just needs that level of recognition for going there and trying. And despite its 1950s understanding of these issues, it's really not that bad comparatively to some other things where we tried to like tackle racism in the 50s. So I got to go with a 10. They, They did a decent enough job really trying to make an effort, and figure things out. Classicness. There are two sequences that are just incredibly unwatchable in this film. The opening with the scientist, as I mentioned, and the weird devil montage two-thirds of the way into the film. In addition, we get way more Lugosi than was ever necessary because it should have been zero But take all of that crap out and you see a somewhat desperate plea for someone to be understood for an issue that we're still grappling with 70 years later. This is incredibly forward thinking. And while it was exploitative and poorly shot, poorly produced, it has a ton of stock footage. I can't give this a zero or even a very low number. So I'm just going to go right down the middle and I'm going to say a five. Finally, rewatchability. It's 0.5. If I was forced between a choice of this or the birth of a nation, 
I would go with this because it's much shorter and has some heart. That's my reasoning. Therefore, it can't be an absolute zero, and I will go with a 0.5 because this is something I would much rather watch than a complicated film like The Birth of a Nation. Add in audience score for this one. We have a 73% for Google users and a 33% for Rotten Tomato users. Gives us a final total of 22.8. And for all those interested, that would place it dead last on our current list but only 3.2 points behind The Greatest Show on Earth, which currently occupies the last space on our list at 26 overall points, just below victory at 28.05. No other film has less than 32.6 on our list. Yeah, it comes in quite a bit under where we've been at with the other 130-some films that we've done up to this point, and... It should. That being said, there are some people that find this extremely humorous and like watching really bad, schlocky films. I'm not necessarily one of them, but I know why this movie has an audience. So finally, I only have one remaining question, and it should be very simple. Why is Bella Lugosi in this film? I don't get it. If anyone can explain that to me ever, you will have my undying appreciation. Because I think even though somebody else might understand it, it would have a difficult time trying to explain it to me. But good God, it makes no sense to me why he was in this film. So that's going to take care of my payment on my bet. You're welcome, Pop. I hope this was entertaining for anybody that listened. I have droned on for over half an hour now on a film that probably needed maybe five minutes of time. It's just, um, it's a movie I lost a bet for. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Catch our regular episodes every Wednesday, and uh, we will see you on the next one. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special? Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnieduncanstudios.com or sign up for our newsletter. Find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at Podcast. Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. 